Hey, good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Church 21. I am so glad that you're with us wherever you are this morning. I'm so looking forward to being able to be back together again, and hopefully that will be happening in a short amount of time. And we're really praying that the Lord would remove COVID altogether. That would be great. We're in this series called Undeservingly Enabled. We're looking at Romans 8. It's a chapter of the book or a letter to the Roman church in um, the New Testament. And so we're focusing in on this specific chapter, the Great Eight, as it's been called, and my favorite chapter. And I think we heard a great word last week from Paul, the author of this text, around there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as we begin this morning, we sit in that reality that there's no condemnation for us, regardless of what you're coming into. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. And this is great news, isn't it? So let me start off the sermon by saying this, that we are, we are made to be obsessed, absolutely made to be obsessed. And usually we have one thing that we're obsessed about. So what's your thing that you're obsessed about? What, maybe it's a band, maybe it's a sports team, maybe it's a food, maybe it's a, a habit, maybe it's a, a hobby. I don't know what it is, but what's that thing that you are obsessed about? And I'm sure that you're confessing it to one another as you're watching with other people. And I would really encourage you to be watching this with other people as well. Our city groups are strategically breaking up uh, to be able to watch our gatherings together. So go ahead and confess whatever it is that you're obsessed about now. But you know what? We even admire some obsessions, don't we? We admire people who are very driven. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. And I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. Hamilton just came out. Disney Plus, right? Probably a lot of people have seen that. Um, We admire lives like that that are driven. Certain parts of lives like that that are very driven. We admire fighters. I grew up loving watching Rocky right before uh, football games, before wrestling matches. I would, I would be watching Rocky, and specifically Rocky Four, where he would focus in on, on this Russian fighter named Drago. And everything he did was about this guy. He moved away from his family to train, looking at pictures of this guy all the time. He was obsessed with this fighter because he wanted to beat him. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie Rudy. Little guy, plays on Notre Dame. Or Notre Dame, I guess, is actually the proper way. It's just in my mind, Notre Dame. Football team, and uh story's amazing. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. I don't know if you've ever read about his acting career and what he does, but he literally takes on the persona that he's going to act. And he does all those things. And he lives in that character before he starts and during it. It's, it's a bit crazy. And that makes him like an A-plus actor. But we admire people who are obsessed. And here's the thing. God made us for obsessions. God made us to be obsessed. God didn't make us to be half-hearted people just following rules. He made us for obsessions. He made us for inexhaustible pleasure. Hear that. Inexhaustible pleasure and joy. But most of us don't live that way, do we? So the question is, why aren't we experiencing that? Why aren't we experiencing inexhaustible pleasure and joy? Why do our obsessions never seem to truly satisfy us? Seems like we have to go after other things and new things and bigger things to satisfy the little caverns in our heart and soul. Well, here's the backdrop that we're coming into this with Paul is writing to a church in Rome, this letter 
We just heard no condemnation in Christ. And now we're learning how to live. And so we drop down into Romans 8 verse 5. And we read this. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. So Paul is basically just saying there's two ways to live. There's two ways to live. And not just two ways to live half-heartedly. There's two ways to live obsessed. Paul, I believe, would argue that you can't live a half-hearted life. That you're, anything you're doing is full obsession of that thing in that moment. And so there's two ways to live a life of obsession. You can live for the flesh or you can live for the spirit. And what I want to do is I want to look at each one of these separately. Because that's what Paul does. He goes throughout this text and he goes in and out of flesh, spirit, flesh, and spirit. So let's start with the flesh. The flesh means a natural moral potential. Our natural moral potential. And, and don't think of someone who's like hypocrite polished. Think of like little child. Doesn't get the thing they want. They scream. They lose their mind. They say, I want the biggest thing. I want this. Because they haven't learned how to still have those desires but fake it on the outside, Right? The natural moral potential isn't necessarily a good thing. And what Paul does is he shows us the obvious fruit of the flesh in another letter that he writes to the Galatians. Now, he did this a little bit in Romans 1, and we looked at that last week. But let's jump over into Galatians 5, 19 to 21. If you have a Bible, a literal Bible, you can turn there. I will put up the verses on the screen. I'm just not promising that I can keep up with that. So here we go. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now this list, it's not a full list, is it? Because he says, in anything similar, anything like this that I didn't put on the list, so you didn't see the thing on the list that you're about, and you're like, oh, good, I can keep doing that thing. He's like, no, that's my category to catch you. That's my category to make sure that you're seen in this passage as well. And all of these are results of setting our mind on the flesh. Now, let me say this. The flesh, as Paul defines it and is seen in scripture, the flesh is not necessarily offensive to society. In fact, a lot of society applauds the flesh. We make ways for the flesh to flourish in our societies. So the flesh isn't necessarily offensive to society, but it's extremely offensive, infinitely offensive to God. The flesh is extremely, infinitely offensive to God. Now, the people that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 8 are those who set their minds on working out the flesh. Now, the same word is used in Matthew chapter 16 of Jesus when Peter gives this beautiful declaration that you are the Christ. You are the one that we have been waiting for. It's this beautiful, beautiful declaration of trust and faith. And here's what comes next. Then Jesus, in verse 21 of chapter 16, then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. 
But Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. Now, this is so important, isn't it? You aren't thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. But yet we look at this text and we'd say, man, Peter didn't really have this bad intention. Peter wanted to protect his friend from going into death. It was a kind sentiment on Peter's behalf. But here's what this kind sentiment was aimed at. Peter's trying to get Jesus away from going to Jerusalem and to the cross was a kind sentiment aimed at thwarting God's rescue plan. In essence, as Jesus points out, Peter, you're partnering with Satan. By you trying to remove me from where I'm supposed to be going, you're partnering with, with Satan. See, Peter's, he, was, he had his mind set on the things of the flesh. He had his mind set on the things of the flesh. And that's always going to lead away from the spirit. It's always going to lead away from the kingdom of God. Now look at this. The flesh can like the stuff of God. The flesh can like the stuff of God. Just not his intervention. Just not his intervention. The flesh rejects the reformation of life. You get that? When God wants to take our lives and reform them and change them and shape them differently, what the flesh wants to do is it wants to reject it and say, no, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for part of this, but not all of this. Peter might have been thinking, I signed up for a Messiah that was going to bring us political change and take away certain struggles that we have. But I didn't sign up for one that was going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. You see, there's aspects of us that even as we become followers of Jesus, that we like the things of God, but not all the things of God. Let me explain what I mean. We might like Jesus as our Savior. The fact that he would come, that he would go to a cross, that he would give his life, that he would pay for our sins. That's what we believe about Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, He died a death in our place on our behalf, wearing our sins so that we could wear his righteousness if we believe and acknowledge and confess that he is the only way to be able to live real life with value, meaning, and purpose, right? So we like Jesus as Savior, but we don't want to give up a life medicating ourselves with other things. That might be drugs. That might be comfort. That might be the approval of other people. So we like Jesus as saving us, but we don't want to give up the the medicating that other things do for, for our lives. We might say, I love you, Jesus, but we're not going to give up being greedy and being self-focused with our possessions. Jesus encountered a rich young ruler one time, and the rich young ruler was like, basically, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, ah, do the commands. He's like, I, I've done all those. He hadn't, but Jesus knew what he meant. Jesus said, oh, great. You lack one thing. Now go sell all your possessions and give those to the poor and come follow me. Jesus knew what the barrier was. That guy might have even come up saying, I love you, Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, I want you to get serious with your finances. They're holding a place in your heart that isn't right. You need to let that go and come follow me. And the guy left Jesus and went back to his power and his money. You see, the flesh can like the stuff of God, but not the intervention, not the reformation that God wants to do. The flesh can say, or we can say, I'm all about God. 
but the flesh says, but I'm also all about my career. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to climb that ladder. And we might even get spiritual with it. I need to do these things, which might be unethical, to climb the ladder so that I can be able to be a witness for God in these places where not many Christians are. You see how this works? It's tricky, isn't it? We might say, I enjoy church. I love the church. I love being part of the church. But when it's, it's really only when we get to dictate what we want to give and what we want to take. See, church on our terms, my terms, I'll participate with this corporate thing the way that I want to participate with it, right? This is like the spirit and the flesh. And I get that, you know, some of you are in seasons of life where we can't participate the way that we even wish that we could. But this is where the the flesh comes in. We might say, I read my Bible. I like the Bible. I like the stuff of God. But the fleshly part is that I never apply the parts that would cost too much. The parts that would cost me to give up the things that I love, they're my precious. I'm not willing to give those things up. We might pray, which is good. But we really only pray as insurance or to manipulate either ourselves or we think we're manipulating God into thinking that this is real and getting him to give us what we want. You see, we're all messed up, aren't we? We're all messed up. The flesh can love the stuff of God, but not his intervention. Not when he actually wants to get at our hearts. So how do we spot the flesh? Now let me say this. Before we become followers of Jesus, we only live lives devoted to the flesh. When we become followers of Jesus, we are filled with the spirit. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we have tendencies to keep going back to the flesh. We have tendencies to keep running back to our old selves and the things that we used to do and the way that we used to enjoy life. So I want to be really clear on that. Before Jesus, all flesh. After Jesus, full of spirit. But we keep going back to the flesh at times. And so how do we spot the flesh? How do we know that this is the flesh that's, that's coming up and, and kind of flexing in our lives? There's some obvious things. You know, Paul gave us that list in in Galatians 5, like having orgies. It's like, ah, that's the flesh. The Spirit's never going to lead you into doing those things. But when we become followers of Jesus, oftentimes some of the big actions that we were doing, the sinful actions, were quickly stopped. A lot of them. And now the Lord is working on our desires on our desires. So how do we spot the flesh, especially as we've become good at hiding and becoming a a bit hypocritical, maybe not even on purpose, but that's just how we've rolled. That's how we've been able to keep the things that we like and kind of like push them under the rug of our lives. Let's say, what is our trigger? And Jesus gave this beautiful parable of the soils and he would teach in parables often and then give the meaning later to those who really wanted to know it. And he gave this meaning behind this parable where a sower goes out to seed and he throws seed everywhere and there's different kind of soils where that seed is landing and his disciples come and they're like, tell us all about the meaning of this parable. And so Jesus does in Mark 4, verse 14 through 20. And Jesus says, the sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown in the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the words sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. 
When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So Jesus lays out these four different types of soils. But what I want to look at is, is this. These soils, Mark four eighteen and 19. The seeds sown among the thorns, these are the ones that hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. So this is how we begin to spot the flesh, that the flesh is at work. Because there was a good work that started. The, the gospel, the word of God was sown into our lives. And it, and it looked like it was growing and, and gaining. And we were making big strides and, and things were, were wonderful. And we loved Jesus. We were raising our hands when we were singing, when we were able to sing together. And we were, we were being generous and we saw all these things changing around us. But then these things come in. Real life hits us. And so what I want to do is I would just want to keep using the example of money because we've been using it throughout the sermon so far. So money, basically the person loves what the word says, but then the flesh sees what the Lord wants us to do with that money. The flesh sees the deceitfulness of, of wealth, the de- desires for other things, but not the deceitfulness of wealth. The flesh sees just wealth. And it begins to run after that now wealth isn't a bad thing in and of itself you can be wealthy and a follower of jesus but when what the flesh does is it sees money as being able to provide for me being able to provide an identity being able to provide a security being able to provide eliteness over other people being able to put me in a new category that i wasn't in before maybe even feeling like this is a new righteousness that i can stand in i've always been poor and that was like hell in my mind and now i need to get into heaven which is like not being poor so money's actually going to bring me into that place so the flesh sees money as providing for me But the Spirit sees money as ammunition. The Spirit sees money as ammunition to be used to further <clears throat> the kingdom of God, to further the mission and the work that Jesus is on about. You see, what the flesh does is it doesn't like Jesus as Lord. The flesh does not like Jesus as Lord. The flesh wants to say in anything, even matters having to do with following Jesus. And so what aspects of the flesh do you still practice? What aspects of the flesh do you still practice? Where do you see the, the flesh rearing its ugly head in your life? What ways do we oppose and are hostile to God? What ways do we oppose and are hostile to God? This is what Paul says in Romans 8, 7, going back to our passage. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Unable to do so. If we're in Christ, if we're in Christ, there's no condemnation. But if we're in Christ, we need to know that there's transformation. And so we're going to be butting up against hostility to God in our hearts, even as we belong to him. 
Transformation doesn't come through religious endeavors. It doesn't go through like the religious version of the floor is lava. And if you can make it across that obstacle course and you get to the other side, then the Lord is standing there applauding you. That's not it. The Lord transforms you by the spirit at work in you. You see, religion is flesh produced. This is so important to keep harping on that religion is a production of the flesh because we are unable to please God. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8, 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but yet religion keeps saying, yes, it can. Yes, it can. You just need to try harder. You just need to do more. And what religion really is, is it's this comparative effort. It's this comparative comfort so that we feel better about ourselves. We, we just kind of remove God from the equation. We put a holy book and a list of do's and don'ts over there. And we try and, and do those things. But then we look around and we're seeing, who am I doing these things better than? Oh, I must be such a good Christian. I must be such a good follower of Jesus because I'm doing these things. And that's just not it. And we've even orchestrated and conducted our language in a different way so that we don't feel so bad about who we really are. So we say things like, well, we're all sinners. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But the flesh wants to say we're all sinners because the flesh wants to remove you from that equation. You're a sinner. You're a rebel. You have areas in your heart that still need to be transformed by Jesus and the flesh wants to comfort you with false comfort. The spirit wants to comfort you with true comfort that you are Christ. There's no condemnation. I am at work in you. I'm making you new. Where religion says, we're all sinners. Give, give yourself a break. The flesh says, you're not so bad, buddy. Don't worry about it. Where the spirit wants to say, you're worse than you even know. I'm not even going to tell you, but don't worry. I'm at work. The flesh says, says things like everyone makes mistakes. Religion says everyone makes mistakes. But the spirit is saying, yeah, but you make mistakes and I'm going to transform you. Religion say all paths lead to God or something similar to that. But says who? You? You, you fleshly inventor of this religion, you're the one that's, that's boasting and standing up. All roads lead to the same place. Who are you? Or comparative comfort says, you know, I'm better than them. I'm better than them. This is the work of our flesh. Because what right do you have to look around at anyone else and say, I am better than them? Paul, the author of Romans, actually says, I'm the worst. Like Paul was exploring his heart, the recesses and caverns, and he's looking down in these caves in his heart, and he's like, I am the worst individual ever. And when we truly understand our heart, that's what we would say. The intents of our flesh, this is who we are. And the religion of flesh has high demands that can never be met. The religion of flesh has high demands that can never be met or satisfied. Romans 8, verse 6 at the beginning. Now the mindset of the flesh is death. It's death. So the flesh attempts to decorate a prison cell. Not knowing that there's this beautiful freedom 
that exists outside of this place. And so we can spend our whole lives, even after being rescued by Jesus, returning to that prison cell. Now the door's wide open. We return to that prison cell on our own. And we decorate this little prison of flesh. And we're like, oh, I've experienced freedom, but now I'm going to come back here and I'm going to decorate this place. Why would you ever, ever do that? But we do. We all do it. But I want to offer you good news. I offer you good news because Paul offers us good news. And it comes in, in verse 9 and 10 of Romans. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Because of righteousness. Paul says, let me go back. You, the gospel is personal. It's not just out there. Well, everyone can be righteous. No, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. There's good news that is personal. You're personal. We are given the righteousness of Christ through his death and his resurrection. Romans 8, 3 and 4 tell us that. And we looked at that last week. And now we live these free lives of no condemnation. Right? We looked at last week this banner being over us. No condemnation that the flesh doesn't get the final say. That the flesh doesn't win. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then what happens is the Spirit of God comes and permanently resides in us. And he says to us, we are not in the flesh any longer. And even though we live a bodily life, right? We're not living a life floating above doing this out-of-body experience. We live a bodily life, but we're not bound to the flesh, nor are we characterized by it any longer. Those things in Galatians 5 that used to characterize us, and that could be a heading to our life, disobedient, adulterer, murderer. Those titles are removed, and new title, no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and now the Spirit of God dwells in us. And we're not characterized by those things anymore. That's who I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore. And Paul says this striking thing in another letter that he writes in the New Testament to the Galatians. And he says in Galatians 2.20, now this visual picture is so powerful and it grips me. I have been crucified with Christ. Now that's a gory picture in and of itself. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what Paul is saying, and here's the way I mentally think about it. I I get disgusting with my thoughts in this regard. That when I return to the flesh, when when I'm not living in the spirit, when I'm not doing the things and thinking the things and being what the Lord actually wants for me to be and I'm, I'm resisting him, I'm saying I don't want you to be Lord over this area of my life. What I'm doing is I'm running back to the crucified me. To the crucified me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's like me returning back to this crucified me hanging there. It's so gory and disgusting and nasty. Why would you ever, ever run to a dead person to give you life? You wouldn't. You wouldn't cling to a dead person saying, please, please satisfy me. And yet that's what it's like to run back to the flesh. 
It's like returning back to the crucified you. That that no longer has to characterize you. Death and all of the things of the flesh, death and all her friends, no longer are what is most true about you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit now is dwelling in us. And he's setting our minds on the agenda of Christ. The very agenda that Jesus had as he moved in and out of life. That agenda is now put into our hearts and minds. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 verse 5. But those who live according, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now when Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross, and Jesus said a really harsh thing, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying forever you're going to be this, but he was identifying the thing that was going on inside of Peter's heart, and he wanted to refocus him. Because he said, you're focusing on the things of man, not on the things of God. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit enters into these moments where the flesh flares up. And the Spirit says, no, no, no. That's not, that's not from the Lord. That's not for Jesus. That's not pushing his agenda forward. But in order to hear from the Spirit, we need to know his voice. Do you know the voice of the Holy Spirit? Do you speak to him? You know he's not a force, right? Sometimes people talk about the Holy Spirit like he's the force in Return of the Jedi. He's not that. He's a person. The third person of this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God existing in three persons, yet one God. It's mind-blowing. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. Do you speak to him? It'd be really weird to be living with someone that you never, ever speak to. And yet he dwells inside of you and he's speaking to you all the time. Do you speak to him? Do you ask him, is there anything out of line with, with the word of God? Is there anything out of line with whom I'm supposed to be becoming? Would you please speak that to me, Holy Spirit? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you pray to him? Do you allow him to pray for you and over you? Because he is. You see, he is leading you all the time and he wants you to recognize him, not as the central figure, but he wants to take you and point your eyes and fix them on Jesus. If you're living a life of obedience to Jesus, it's not because you're awesome. It's because the spirit is causing you to do that and you might not even know it. You see, the spirit has so much life to speak over us let his words grow loud in your life let his words grow loud in your life let them be pronounced over you let him let his words come and smash the lies that you're believing and just accepting and receiving and here's what the spirit does he comes in and like a seed that gets planted he then produces fruit in our lives look at the fruit that that paul talks about Galatians five twenty two and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Here's the deal. As you're living a life in the Spirit, you're a bearer of God's work. 
You're bearing fruit and witness to the fact that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in you. And not only do you get to enjoy the fruit and the goodness of like, man, it used to be so frustrating to 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 be angry and furious all the time. It was so frustrating to only love myself because I realized that I couldn't even do that well. But now the Spirit comes in and He changes us completely. And He changes our orientation away from self to Jesus. And not only do we get to experience that, but others get to experience the fruit of you enjoying God. You see, this is true. God resources the world with His fruit through the Spirit at work in His people. And you can try and produce the fruit without Him, but it's just not going to happen. After a while, you're going to know that this isn't the fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of like taking an apple, you know, already been picked, out of a bag, putting a string around it, and going and hanging it up on a tree. It's not going to take long before people realize, if it's still there, that this is rotted. It's not connected any longer to the source. But as we're connected to the Spirit, The Spirit is producing this marvelous fruit and there's no end. There's no limit. It's abundant and overwhelming and the Spirit wants to give to us as much as we possibly want and more. But you can't have life or peace without Him. See, this is the ultimate fruit is life, eternal life and peace. And you can't have it without the Spirit coming, dwelling in you and giving that to you. Do you ask the Spirit? Do you ask the Spirit to help you put to death the old, to put to death the flesh, and to live out the new? Next week, we're going to focus specifically on that reality, the mortification of our sin. Now, you might be like me when I was much younger. I thought that God was super boring. I thought that everything to do with church, Bible, all like so boring. How do people possibly do this? So let me ask you this. Do you think life in the spirit is boring? Now I know you're going to answer, no, of course not. But do you think life in the spirit is boring? Do you, do you think that the flesh seems so much more enjoyable and fun? Let me share what Ray Ortland has to say. He says, if you are a Christian but bored. Maybe you need to lose something. What do you need to offload so that your heart can feel the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? And do not stop offloading until that sense of privilege in Jesus really starts to percolate. What do you need to offload? You see, because here's the thing. The Spirit wants to keep revealing more of Jesus and you're like, ah, I need to keep up with my Netflix show. Ah, I need to come up, keep up with my hobby. Ah, I need to com- keep up with my investment. Oh, I need to keep up with my reading plan. Oh, I need to keep up with sleeping 14 hours a night. Oh, I need to keep up. Like we have all these things that we feel like we need to keep up with, but none of those things specifically draw us to Jesus. Now, those things aren't bad. Netflix isn't bad. Career is not bad. Taking naps aren't bad. Sleeping 14 hours. Uh, if you're not an infant, I would question that. But these things aren't bad in of themselves, but if they're, if they're not allowing for our souls to be saturated with the goodness of who Jesus is by the power of the Spirit, then they're going to they're gonna shrivel up. Now, we're not going to lose him, but we're not going to have stronger desires for him. 
But the Spirit wants to keep revealing more and more and more and more of Jesus. And there's infinite layers to be peeled back. I would talk about an onion, but I don't really like onions that much. It's like layered cakes. The layers to Jesus are infinite. And have you ever had those cakes where they're like 10 different flavors and they're all layered so perfectly? And you're like, you want to get every single layer and Get all that goodness before you go to the next one. This is what the Spirit wants to do. He wants to help you enjoy Jesus. But we're so oriented around these things that are just dulling our lives, that are boring us. Because we think that Jesus is just 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, giving a little bit of our money and maybe praying once in a while. But Jesus has immeasurable riches that he wants to unveil to us. He wants for us to explore him like we go on these great explorations where we put together this vacation and we're going to hit all these different destinations and spots. We're going to try all these new foods. We're going to go and see this thing. We're going to meet these people. We're going to hear this language. Jesus wants for us to begin setting up our lives with him like that, where the spirit becomes our tour guide through the riches of Christ, where we reorient our identity around who we already are, and we say no to things that are not, aren't even bad, but they're getting in our way of enjoying who Jesus is. So let me mention a few things. You can wake up every single morning and ask the Spirit what the Father thinks of you. The Spirit will not lie. And here are things that the Spirit will say. You are beloved. There is no condemnation for you. You are a friend of Jesus. Not just friendly, but a friend of Jesus. That you are eternally secure. That you have been adopted into the family of God. All these things just when you wake up. And do you know where the Spirit wants to take you next? He wants for you to binge watch Jesus. Take a part of who he is. I want to binge watch his compassion and allow for the Spirit to propel you into the word of God and into life to see the compassion of Jesus everywhere. It's kind of like when you buy a car. You've never really seen that car on the road before and you think you're so unique. We just got a a Honda Odyssey and used, of course, but... um, You don't see Honda Odysseys until you drive one. Then they're everywhere. Everywhere. And this is what's true of of Jesus. When you start to look for things of Jesus, you see it everywhere. You see him everywhere and, and in everything. Ask the Spirit to help you binge watch Jesus. Did you know you can call the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all day long? You can text him at any time and you don't even need a plan or technology to do that. And yet... We don't do it. We did this in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course where we talked about the daily office and Sabbath. These are moments where we get to call the Father, Son, and Spirit. I need you. I want you. I'm confused about this. Would you help me enjoy this? I've been thinking about the gentleness of Jesus lately. I've been thinking about how angry I get. Would you remove that from me and replace that with who Jesus really is? Do you give yourself over to him? Jesus, I am yours today. I'm yours this minute, this moment. Would you please do with me what you want right now? Do you open up the immeasurable riches of Christ like a child on Christmas morning with infinite gifts that has no rules about how to open these things? Right? This is what we have in the Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God wants to do for us. Not just sit with our present that we get once a year. Okay, wait. 
wait to open it. Wait until, wait until I tell you to open it. No, go at it. Get in there. Get as many of these gifts as you possibly can. This is what the Spirit wants to do with Jesus. The Spirit wants to lead us to be able to say yes to the desires of Jesus. The Spirit wants to help us say, yes, I want to do that so that we can give the fruit of the Spirit to other people through us. And the Spirit wants to help us to pursue Christ consistently even when we don't want to. Even on our worst day, the Spirit is still pursuing Christ through us and for us. And here's the good news, is the Spirit has sealed you, He's got you, He's going to pursue you and keep you to the very end. Paul tells us in Philippians that he's going to finish the work that he has started in you. Now, my dad, my dad and I have been talking a lot. I shared with you a few months ago, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and it doesn't seem to be getting better. So my dad and I have been talking a lot about death and life. Been talking a lot about heaven and new creation. And what I want to do is I want to end our time by sharing with you some of our conversation because it's been around all of these different points. In chapter 8, verse 11, this is the end of our text, Paul says, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that one day, Everyone is going to rise, some to life and some to eternal death. So there's a resurrection coming for all people. The resurrection is going to be on a new earth that's joined with the new heaven. We're not going to be uh, disembodied souls floating around in heaven playing a harp somewhere. That's not our, our reality. Our new reality that's coming as a new earth and God is remaking us for that new earth. And this is so exciting. And on that new earth, you're going to have a body and what a body it's gonna be. This is the part my dad and I are talking about and it's so exciting. What a body this is gonna be. And in that body, there's not gonna be any fleshly desires. There's not gonna be any desires to go against Jesus. Those are gonna be done with. We're only going to want him and we're going to be able to stand in the presence of his glory and get it all and not have it just destroy us we're going to be able to stand in the fullness of the son of god and allow for his glory to be enjoyable to us we're going to be eating it up like like our skin enjoys vitamin d in the two months of summer that we have in canada Our bodies are going to be immortal, immortal. They're going to be beyond death and no longer subject to sickness, injury, decay, or even death itself. Like this is the the work that the Spirit is going to finish in us, is finishing with a new beginning, the new beginning. And listen to what Ray Ortland says so helpfully. He says, we will become invulnerable to death and disease and pain and aging. No more medication, no more walkers, no more arthritis, no more cancer or headaches or hormone therapy or MS or sexually transmitted diseases. No need for sleep, no sinful urges raging within, no possibility of injury. Instead, 
full energy, full capacities, full intensity, full control, full alertness, acute sensitivity to everything worthy in an atmosphere of unmixed holy joy forever and ever. That is the triumph of God's spirit in all of God's children. That's what's coming. That's what we get to look forward to. That's what's just beyond the horizon. And so death, where is your sting? It's been removed because this is what Christ's death and resurrection brings us into. Death has no more pain for us. We're entering into a place where death will not be able to harm us anymore. And the Spirit is going to take us into the very presence of God where He is going to wipe away that final tear from your eyes. Cancer is not going to be able to touch your new body. God will have you remade in his presence. And when you get before God, when the spirit brings you before God, it's going to be for this, to be embraced, hugged, brought onto the lap of the father. And he's going to speak words of love, of pride and affection over you. Oh, my son, I've been waiting for you. I've been longing for you to be in my presence and I'm so glad that you're here. Now remember what I said to you in that life. There's no condemnation. And here, son, daughter, there's no condemnation for you at all. And for all of eternity, I am gonna have you rule and reign with me. And there's no possible way that you can mess it up because you've been made just like my son. That is, That is what is coming for all those who are in Christ. Infinite, inexhaustible obsession, joy, pleasure. And the Spirit wants to lead us right into that. And he wants to do that now. He's not saying, yeah, yeah, I mean, do whatever you want. And then when you get there, you can enjoy that. He's saying that's available now. There's hors d'oeuvres now to be enjoyed while we wait for the full festivity and celebration of when Jesus and his bride, his people are brought together. So here's what the Spirit wants to do. Here's what the Spirit wants to do. He wants for us to learn all that we can about the place and the person that we're gonna be with forever. And by the way, we can learn from that person now. Right? This is where it gets all mixed up. The Spirit wants to, us to learn about the Father and the Son and Himself. But He wants to teach us that by being in relationship with us right now. Now this is something to be obsessed over. This is something to be binge-watched and binge-drinked and enjoyed over and over and over. Be drunk in the Spirit, Paul says. He says, don't get drunk with alcohol. Get drunk in the Spirit. Now, there's no strange connotations to that at all. He's saying, let the spirit overwhelm you in such a way that you understand who you really are. When people get plastered and wasted, they lose who they really are. And the fleshliness comes out. But when we're drunk in the spirit, we understand who we really are. Our true identity begins to surface. This is why Paul pleads with his people to live not in the flesh, but in the spirit, because there's so much fullness available and our city needs this. People are longing for this. 
So how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Man, I've told you to take Holy Spirit smoke breaks before. Now it's like, go get drunk in the spirit, right? Go live life in the spirit. Go live in the fullness of the spirit. Go allow for the spirit to take you down these inexhaustibly pleasurable, joyful trails as you explore the infinite, immeasurable riches of Christ devour the word of God. Spirit, this is from you. Please, would you help me to hide this into my heart? Would you overwhelm me with it? We respond by being overwhelmed by the Spirit. We respond by allowing him to overwhelm us so much that we would give. So we give so that more people can hear about this Jesus. You can do that by by giving on our online platform. We already sang uh, earlier but our hearts can keep singing the joy of of who Jesus really is. And we respond by being sent out into our normal everyday lives, full of the Spirit of God, as he desires to bear fruit through us so that our neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family can benefit from the fruit of God. And as they ask, and as you tell, do you know where this fruit came from? You know, not in a corny, cheesy way. Don't ask that specific question. But do you know why I'm like this? It's not because of me. It's because Jesus is transforming me through his spirit. And he offers this to anyone. So if you are at the beginning of the sermon listening, and and you were hearing like, that's my life. I live in the flesh. I don't even know Jesus. And Jesus says, would you come to me now? Meet me now. Give your life to me. Acknowledge I am a sinner. And I need you as my savior and my Lord. And I want to get behind you completely, Jesus. And I see that your death and your resurrection, those, those are for me. If you believe that and pray to him and ask him to be forgiven, then you are brought into the family of God. You are a follower of Jesus. You are no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. And this is now true of you. So we're going to end with a few discussion questions. I know that we're going to be sent out with a few announcements, but we're going to encourage you uh, as you're gathered with people to discuss two questions. One, have you experienced a time when you felt like you were obsessed with Jesus? So was there a time when you were obsessed with Jesus? And if that's no longer the case, what changed? What changed? The second question is, what obsession in this life is blocking you from seeing more of Jesus? And then how can you offload that? So have you experienced a time when you felt like you were obsessed with Jesus? What changed? And secondly, what obsession in this life is blocking you from seeing more of Jesus. How can you offload that? Let me pray for us. Spirit of God, you know what's blocking us. You know what's blocking me. Would you help me to offload these things so I can see more of Jesus? Spirit, thank you that you are ministering to us. Thank you that you're unveiling the plans of the Father to glorify the Son. Spirit, thank you that you're never leaving us, but you're transforming us day by day to be more and more like Jesus. And I pray that you would overwhelm us. Allow for us to meditate on that reality of what's coming and help us to find great peace in that. So we love you and we need you, Father, Son, and Spirit for everything. Amen.